Thank you for tuning into the Grand Allen Independent Podcast, The Real Night of the Twisters. This is episode two. I'm your host, Josh Salmon. Podcast sponsored by Teal Haas Tire. Teal Haas Tire is the home of the courtesy inspection where they check your brakes, belts, hoses, fluids, tires, and more absolutely free. Teal Haas Tire, a tradition of trust since 1947. June 3rd, 1980 was a night that lives in infamy for those who lived through it. That night, seven tornadoes ripped through Grand Island, Nebraska, destroying everything in the way, including homes, businesses, and people. 266 people were injured and treated at the hospital. 36 were admitted, and a total of five people died from the real night of the Twisters. On this episode, we would like to honor and remember those who lost their lives that summer night almost 41 years ago. Connie Lyons is the sister of Robin Larson, who lost her life that night. Robin was only 17 years old. Can you tell me about that night, June 1980? It was a really nice day out, and that evening a storm started coming in. Um, I lived with my sister and her fiancé in Tipton Trailer Court on South Locust, and I had just got here. Uh, We had lived in Colorado, and my mom had to come back to move her mother from Omaha to Columbus, and my stepdad was working on Union Pacific Railroad. But my mom wanted me to stay with Robin and Randy for the summer so I could meet some kids and get to know some people before school started in the fall. But that night, um, my sister had sent me with uh, Randy's little sister, Cindy, who is my same age, out to Eagles Lake. And then that evening, her and I were going to babysit 11 children on Nebraska Street. Mm-hmm. So if Robin hadn't sent me, I would have been at the trailer with them. And that would probably have been pretty bad for my mom and stuff. So, But uh, when the storms came in, we got the kids down in the basement. And then it was, it was the loudest noise I'd ever heard in my life. And uh, the roof blew off the house, and the kids were crying. And then finally, when everything passed and it was clear, um, one of the moms, who was another sister of Randy's, came to check on us. And I went with her down to the trailer court because she lived there too. And um, it was when you're going down Locust, we had to kind of go around debris and. we had to get past a checkpoint with the National Guard. And then we got down there, and um, there was just nothing. It was pretty dark. They had emergency lights on and stuff, but way down where the trailer court was, you couldn't hardly see anything. And a couple of firemen stopped me, and they said, uh, where are you going? And I said, well, I live down here, and i got to go find my sister. And they said, well, come up here and to the house and there's somebody up here, you know, maybe that's, you know, somebody you know. And I went in, and there was uh, paramedics taking care of someone there, uh, and it was her fiancé, Randy. I said, where's Robin? And he said, I don't know. Um, It was about, I think, a day, a day and a half before they found her at Dairy Queen. So, yeah, it was really just unbelievable just couldn't believe it I'd never even been in a tornado warning uh, when we lived in Colorado there really wasn't ever 
anything like that going on. So. I can't even imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, her and Randy were going to get married. Uh, they were both pretty young, but they were pretty sure that was it for them, you know. They, she was my big sister, and I always thought she's older and wiser. And then I got to be 17, 18, and I was like, this is all all she lived to be, you know. So, yeah. But, yeah, it was really hard on my mom. She just lost her dad two and a half months before then, mm. in March. So, I, I, I'm just, you know, it, it was unbelievable to think, and I think everybody said it, that we couldn't believe that with all the destruction, how lucky we were that there weren't more people, you know, that were taken from it. Coming back, Brandon visits with Christy Schaefer about losing her fiancé, Danny. Oh, he was a great man and greatly missed by a lot of people. When the real night of the Twisters continues. When it's time to hit the road, the last thing you need to worry about is your vehicle. At T.O. Haas Tire, we'll inspect your brakes, belts, hoses, fluid, suspension, tires, and more. All done by a certified technician and all done absolutely free. And don't forget, we have a tire for every vehicle and every budget with optimum tire wear, fuel economy, and most importantly, driver safety. T.O. Haas Tire and Auto, a tradition of trust. Welcome back to the Grand Island Independence Podcast Series, The Real Night of the Twisters. We were remembering and honoring the people who lost their lives at historic night June 3rd, 1980. Christy Schaefer says she remembers that day very well. Now was the night her fiancé, Danny Davenport, surprised her with a visit. Little did anybody know that ended up being the last time they would spend together. Danny was killed that night as he helped protect Christy from the storms. Yes, if you could, please tell me about that night. Tuesday, June 3rd, 1980 absolutely started out as the strangest day from minute one. For starters, Dan would never come to Grand Island alone. He would always come with a a friend of his who was also from Overton, who happened to be one of my roommate's boyfriends. So the two being from Overton, they always came down together to see us. Well, this day was very strange because he popped down all alone to surprise me and it was I just couldn't believe it it was a total surprise I loved it but uh, things just got worse after that Um, we went out to Dairy Queen to grab a bite to eat for supper and the weather was pretty bad at that point that was probably 8 or 8 30 in the evening And it was getting pretty bad, but we decided just to eat quick and then just head back home. And we were going down South Locust, and it was a ways away that we had to go to. And it just started hammering us. I mean, it started pouring. I think it was even hailing at that time. And the wind was howling and... Um, I remember it was dark, so I don't, I don't know what time it was, but anyway, it was getting so bad that he took cover underneath this great big canopy that was attached to this hotel. 
I think it was that Motel 6 that you saw in the pictures. And he took a cover under there, and he was driving a blazer, so it had this big console in between us. And he pulled under that canopy, and it just started... I know that tornado had to be just about right above us because he said, this is just getting ridiculous. He said, I want you to lay down like this and then he was going to cover my body, which he did. Time went on and I have no idea how much time, but uh, it just went on and and it was, the storm was just enormous and loud and Oh, I was just scared to death, and I know he was too. And um, finally, uh, I heard this loud, like, explosion, and I think that might have been when the windows blew out. And I felt uh, rain and glass and stuff coming in, and and... All at once, I felt the blazer just like in slow motion moving and turning. And um, then it finally sat down and um, it was still raining really bad and it was just horrible. But I felt safe enough to try to get up and that he could get up and we could get out of there and get to some safety or get some help. I tried and tried to get him up off of me, and I said, Dan, Dan, I said, you can get up now, and I finally managed to get away from him, and he was unconscious, and I knew something had to be horribly wrong, and I couldn't tell what was wrong, but I just started screaming, and uh, it was still loud and windy outside and just yucky. And and I was just in shock. I mean, I just was in absolute shock. After a while, um, I finally, uh, there was, uh, police came. They got an ambulance. They wouldn't let me go with him in the ambulance, which just broke my heart and so I went into one of the rooms of this hotel that I think the front wall was blown out and I waited and waited and waited and he was in the hospital I finally made it there our parents made it down and we were all in the hospital and he was there for probably two days on life support the only scratch on his body was in the back of his head where evidently what had happened when that when the windows blew out, a cement beam or something came up and hit him in the back of the head. And that is just what killed him. I mean, he was brain dead on life support. And the call was finally made. His parents and and myself, and uh, they uh, unplugged the life support. That was it. Worst time of my life. I remember it like yesterday, but it 
It was tough. We were going to get married uh, September 20th of that year and had uh, my mom and I were going to sew all the bridesmaids dresses and we had all the material bought from Joanne Fabrics in Grand Island. And uh, lo and behold, they took it all back and refunded us. And anyway, just the worst time of my life. It took me forever to climb back out of my hole. But life goes on and God has helped me. It's been a lot of years. Well, I'm very sorry that you have to suffer even that. Oh, he was a great man and greatly missed by a lot of people. Another victim of the tornadoes was Denise Baring. She was working at the World of Toys and Hobbies at the Conestoga Mall that night. When the sirens sounded at 8.45 p.m., the store was closed and Baring was sent home to find shelter. That night, her parents were at the Ray Baring Farm northwest of Grand Island having a birthday party for Ray's wife, Roberta, and Denise was invited. She may have been heading there that night of the storm, but she never made it. Baring 19 was found dead in her car in Northwest Grand Island by her brother Steve. She was the daughter of Lester and Mary Baring and graduated from Northwest High School in 1979. Steve recalls that night. And we ended up staying with some friends because they looked over to where we lived in Grand Island and the tornadoes were there. So we went and stayed with a friend that night. Then the windows sucked shut on the house. And we stuck around, I think, till about 1 o'clock in the morning over at his place because we had the kids with us, too. So then uh, I got home, and uh, there was a tree limb through the roof into my boy's pillow. And uh, so I looked at Kathy and I says, you know, mom and dad are out to a birthday party out to the farm. I said, uh, I tried to call them, but I couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I turned around and I jumped in my truck. It was four wheel drive. I headed out to the farm and I couldn't, I couldn't get to the farm because the trees were down across the roads and stuff. I went through some ditches and I got part way to the farm, and that was on Engelman Road and White Cloud Road. And uh, <clears throat> I run into one of the neighbors out there, Bob Seamers. And Bob says, oh, you don't want to go down that road. I said, why not? So there's a body laying in the middle of the road. I said, really? I said, well, I'm trying to, I get this about my only way I can get out to the farm. I said, I got to go down that way and, and get out to the farm, make sure mom and dad's okay. I proceeded to go down the road. Bob, he was with me. And we got down to where this person was in the middle of the road. And I looked over and about 100 yards away was a car upside down in the ditch. No tires, no axles, no motor. And the car looked familiar. It looked like my sister's car. So I looked down at the body and I couldn't tell whether it was her. She was so beat up. Then I turned around and I 
seen the mole. She had a mole on her hand, and I seen that mole. And then I grabbed her hand, and I looked. She had her class ring on. It was DB. And I said, damn, that's my sister. And she worked out at Hobby Lobby, wasn't it, Kathy? Well, when she found out the tornadoes were out in that area, she must have left work and tried to get out to the farm, and she ran right into that tornado. So, anyway, then the sheriff came out, and I identified her, and uh, can you break the news to your parents about your sister? And I said, yeah, I, I'll, I'll do it. But I said, I gotta find them first. So anyway, I did call out to the farm, and I found out that they had walked from the farm to Highway 2, which was two miles. And they got a ride from Highway 2 home. But then I found out that every building on that farm was gone. There was a red barn that was huge. They never did find a part of that red barn. It was gone. And the section of the house where they was at, they went down to go to the cellar, and the cellar had caved in because of the vibration of the tornadoes. So they ended up all hovering up in the living room under couches and chairs. That was the only building that was left, half of the house. The other half had blowed away. They were still in that half. There wasn't a building on that farm left. So then I did get out to mom and dad, and I did tell them about Denise, which was heartbreaking. It was hard. I was always kind of curious what she really would have become. I don't know. I see her as, you know, now I think back on her, and I don't know. I think she would have done something with art, um, you know, she was so artistic. Um, I think she would have done something with that. Uh, interior de design, I think she she liked um, fashion. She was always fashion-minded and stuff. So she would have been something in art and fashion, something. And, and to imagine her being 60, uh, I don't know. But if nothing else, you would have been together today. The what? You would have been together today. Otherwise, I don't, no matter she, what. I don't, oh, yeah. she wouldn't have left Grand Island, I don't think. I think that's just the way she was. I, She was going to be a home, you know, I mean, here in Grand Island. And my other sisters are all here in Grand Island, too. Yes. So the whole family's kind of stuck together. Although we didn't have interviews from the other two victims that night, they are not forgotten. Charles Peterson was 66 at the time. He was found dead in his bedroom at his house on South Locust. Charles graduated from Grand Island Senior High in 1934 and spent years working for the Union Pacific Railroad. He lived in Denver a short time before returning to Grand Island in 1967. While in high school, he attended Grand Island Senior High. He was a quarterback for the football team. He was an all-state selection in basketball, also played baseball. Peterson had laid down by a bedroom wall that night while his wife Hattie took shelter in a bathroom four feet away. Charles was 66 at the time. Ronnie Lease, another victim, was found dead in the rubble of the Pagoda Lounge on South Locust Street. 
Ronnie, a Central City native, had just finished a year of teaching and coaching at Hastings Junior High. He lived at Bellwood Drive in Grand Island since December 1979. Lisa had been bowling with several Pagoda employees that night and stopped in the lounge after league bowling was canceled. Lisa was 30 years old at the time. That wraps up this episode of The Real Night of the Twisters. Please remember those who didn't make it to tell the tale of that night, June 3rd, 1980. Thank you for all of our guests for coming on. I know that couldn't have been easy for you. Thank you to Brandon Summers for compiling these interviews. On our next episode, we'll talk about what survivors remember from the real nights of the Twisters. The Grand Island Independent Podcast. Copyright Grand Island Independent and Lee Enterprises. 2021. Written, narrated, and produced by Josh Salmon. Sponsored by Teal Haas Tire. Teal Haas Tire is the home of the courtesy inspection where they check your brakes, belts, hoses, fluids, tires, and more absolutely free. Teal Haas Tire, a tradition of trust since 1947. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Josh Salmon. <laughs>